12, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. Let me take you back to high school days. Have you guys ever had a crush in high school? Yeah, you remember that first crush you had? Well, for me, I don't know if this was my first, I had a lot of crushes, but this is the first crush I've, I've had uh, since I was a Christian. And I became a Christian when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, while I was at this small church in Demarest, New Jersey, there was a girl there that I, I really liked. Her name was Jessica. And I really wanted Jessica to like me back. And I thought, what would be the proper strategy for me to hopefully get her to like me? Uh, you know how many guys were like, well, maybe I'll dress up a little bit more, put some more stuff in my hair so I could look better. Uh, yeah, I think I thought about that a little bit. But you know what my strategy was? I prayed. I prayed. I prayed earnestly that God would open up the heavens and he would allow her to see me in a way where she too would hopefully have the same feelings for me. And so I prayed really, really hard that God would do this for me. And uh, when I finally mustered up enough courage to confront her and admit my feelings for her, I really believed in faith that she was going to say yes. I really believed it. And she didn't say yes, but she didn't say no. She said, let me think about it. And I said, well, at least that's better than a no, right? So, okay, so it's all right. I said, well, think about it. And so it just allowed me to pray even more. And so I prayed more about it, just saying, God, please let this work out. I would even like to marry her. And um, she finally called me one day, and she told me that uh, because we're such good friends. We're really not good friends, but because we're such good friends, she doesn't want to ruin it. She just sees me as a friend. Ladies, don't ever say that to a guy. <laughs> I feel, feel so emasculated. I was sad. You know, when guys get turned down by a girl, it's hard for us to recover. It really is. And I was so sad. It affected sort of how I saw God. I said, you know, God, I prayed for this. I really, really prayed for this. How come you didn't come through? There was sort of a season where I was upset with him and I didn't fully grapple with who God is. And, and I guess my thought of God was impacted or my theology of God was definitely impacted a bit because the prayer wasn't answered. So I thought, so I thought. I think a lot of us engage with God in prayer and for some of you in this room, the prayers are very serious. You've engaged with God in prayer, in deep prayer, asking God to open heaven's doors to deliver somebody, perhaps maybe who is ill or terminally ill, and, and you're praying for their dear life. And it's a serious prayer. And maybe God hasn't answered it. And even to this day, you're starting, you still can't figure out God. Because in your mind, you're saying, God, how could you take somebody who is such a good person? And it impacts your theology of God so negatively that there's times where you don't really know how to make sense of God and you create the space between you and him because there is sort of these unresolved emotions that you have with God. Maybe you've prayed that God would save your marriage and he didn't. And you don't know how to figure God out because of that. And you still feel the pain of that separation of this void that is lingering in your heart. Maybe you've prayed for God to give you employment because you've been unemployed for a little while and maybe you're in a real dire situation where you're going to lose everything if God doesn't come through and you're praying and praying and praying and, and you just seem like God is turning a deaf ear to you and you just don't know how to process that about God because you read the Bible and Jesus says you have a prayer of a, if you believe with a, with, a, with a size of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move and it'll move. And so you read passages like that and you're like, well, what's going on with me, God? How come you're not listening to me? Today, as we continue in Acts chapter 12, we're going to continue in this series. We're going to look at the first 19 verses, and we're going to take a look at the early church. And the early church are coming together, and they are praying earnestly for the apostle James, because he was arrested and put in prison, and the apostle Peter, all right, because he too was arrested and put in prison. They both pray that God would release both of them somehow supernaturally. And unfortunately, the outcomes between James and Peter are very different. And what I want to do today before we sort of talk about how do we engage with God in the sense of earnest prayer, I first want to ask the question, what do we learn about God when we as people engage with him in earnest prayer? 
What do we learn about God when we earnestly pray to him? Because if we can't establish that, then I think earnestly praying to him and, and if we feel like God doesn't answer, it's really going to harm our understanding and our theology of God. So what do we learn about God when we come together and, and, and when we go to God in our earnest prayer? And how can we begin to engage with him with that place where we can earnestly go to him? How can we earnestly pray to God that would be holy and pleasing unto him? Those are the two questions that I want to answer today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at the first 19 verses. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. All right, here we go. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guards at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking and when, the door, when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Herod, after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, we ask you that you would help us these these words that were penned 2,000 years ago, God, would you allow these words to come alive? And I pray that it would penetrate our hearts. May we learn who you are even greater as we approach you with earnest prayers. And would you teach us, God, how you want us to pray to you with that sense of earnest? What's the posture you want us to have, God? And so, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, God, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, so we're at a point in Acts now, in Acts chapter 12, where you'll find that the apostles are no longer experiencing the favor of the Jews. Uh, back in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, you learn that the early church, the apostles, they were experiencing the favor of the people. Well, that wasn't happening anymore because the church was more established now. The church was growing, and as a result of its growth, it was now becoming a threat to the establishment, and that's the Jewish faith. And as a result of that, uh, apostles at one time were safe to be in Jerusalem. Uh, we clearly see now that they are no longer safe. That if they, are to choose to, if they choose to live in Jerusalem, they're putting themselves and even their families at a very precarious place. And what happens here is that James, the son of Zebedee, gets arrested. 
And remember James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, or the sons of thunder, maybe it says that in your translation, in, in the Gospels. Remember those two were just kind of like rambunctious guys. They were just sort of, uh, sort of I guess sometimes uh, a little bit tempered. Remember when Jesus calls them to go out into a Samaritan village and, and to minister and, and to open the door for Jesus to come. And, and the Samaritans say, nope, we don't want Jesus here. We don't want you guys here. Get away. What did they do when they went back to Jesus? He said, hey, Jesus, you better pray to God right now that he would rain down fire on heaven to those Samaritans. Take them out. Remember that? And remember in Mark chapter 10 when James and John, they go up to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, um, when we go to heaven, could we sit at your right and your left? And what does Jesus say? He says, you cray cray. There's no way I can make that decision. Only God will decide that. And he said, James and John, can you drink the cup of suffering that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the kind of baptism that I have to be baptized with? And James and John said, yes, we can. And it comes into fruition because James does drink the cup of suffering. He does get baptized the way Jesus got baptized and he was crucified. He wasn't crucified. He was executed by King Herod. When King Herod saw how much this pleased the people, King Herod was so infatuated with his approval ratings that whenever people got excited, whenever people applauded him for certain things, he was definitely the most famous of all the Herods in the past than his father, his predecessors. And when he saw how much they loved the fact that he executed the apostle James, he went for the head guy which is, of course, the apostle Peter. And so he puts him in prison, and we find that Peter now is put in there during Passover, which is a real big time, especially even for Christians, because that was a time when Jesus was with his disciples before he was crucified. And so Peter is taken into prison, and on the eve of his trial, Peter had probably pretty good certainty that he was, this was probably his last evening of life, because James died, and now it's probably his turn. If you knew you, had, you were going to die tomorrow, how do you think you would sleep? Do you think you would sleep well? Let me make it even harder for you. How about if somebody uh, chained you with another soldier, two, two other soldiers, and you were chained to them, do you think you would have a good night's rest? I think most of us wouldn't be able to sleep, not only because we were chained to somebody else, but it's because you're so worried that this is our last day of life. Peter slept with such a deep sleep. Do you guys ever remember the last time you slept so deeply that you woke up and you had no idea where you were? You woke up, you didn't know what day it was, you had no, no idea what time it was. Do you guys remember a time when you slept like that? Maybe for some of you it's been so long because you, you don't, you, maybe you have so much on your mind, you don't, you don't have deep sleeps like that. Peter, the dude was sleeping, was, he slept in such a deep way that even when the angel tried to wake him up, he thought he was dreaming. And he didn't fully know that, this, that God had taken him out because he thought he was just sleepwalking until he finally got out of jail and he walked about a block's distance. And then when the angel left him, he realized that this wasn't a dream. Peter had such peace that even if this was his last evening, that he was still, he was so at peace that he was literally standing in the very palm of God's hands that he was able to sleep with that kind of deep way. Oh, Peter has matured, hasn't he? Remember when he promised Jesus many, many, many years ago, probably about 11, 12 years ago, when he says to Jesus, Jesus, even if I have to die, I will never betray you. And Jesus says, no, you will betray me three times. The rooster will crow and you'll realize you've betrayed me three times. And Peter truly has matured now because he's on the eve of potentially his death. And what is he doing? He's saying, no matter what, I will die for you, Jesus, if I have to. And Peter is ready and able to do that. I think that's hopeful because I don't know about you, but I've made so many promises to God that I've broken. It's horrible. You get so disappointed when you break promises. Don't undervalue them because maybe you can't meet them right now, but keep walking with God. And I do believe you can mature into living out those promises that you've made to God. That's, I, hopefully that gives you hope to continue to make promises. And so Peter, is in, he's sleeping, and he thinks this is the last day of his life. And he finds that the church is praying earnestly for him. The word earnest literally means hand stretched out in fervent supplication. Right? Hand stretched out in fervent supplication. Uh, it's kind of like Jesus praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke's gospel described Jesus praying with such fervency that he was sweating droplets of blood. That's how hard Jesus was praying. He was praying with that kind of earnestness. Have you ever prayed with that kind of earnestness before? 
Have you ever been to a place in your life where you needed God to come through in your life and so as a result you earnestly prayed? Well, the early church were in their homes and they were praying earnestly that God would supernaturally provide a way for Peter to be released from prison because they couldn't do it. There were guards. They couldn't do it. So they were praying that that would happen. And we need to be reminded of James 5.16 because James 5.16 says that the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's really key. We need to kind of tuck that away and realize that. When was the last time you earnestly prayed to God? Some of you might be in a season right now where you're earnestly praying to him and you need God to really come through in your life. When was the last time you earnestly prayed to him in that way? I remember years ago, many years ago, our family entered into this time where we earnestly had to pray for my nephew. When he was 18 months old, we learned that he was diagnosed with leukemia. 18 months. And we learned that for three years he had to be uh, under chemotherapy. A little kid had to be on chemo for three years. And it just it broke our hearts as a family. And I remember my wife and I, we just earnestly and our kids every day, we would earnestly pray that God would save our little boy, nephew, Jordan. That we would pray and we prayed and prayed. We earnestly prayed. We sought God out with fervent supplication. Have you ever entered a time like that? How did it work out for you? And it's great if it, was a, if it worked out well. But if it didn't, I do believe it really impacts our, under, our lack of understanding of maybe who God is. And so what do we learn about God in the story about when you and I enter into a time of earnest prayer? What are the things that we learn about God when we enter into a time of earnest prayer? The first thing we learn about God is simply this, is that when you and I enter into a time of earnest prayer, he will answer all of those prayers with a yes or a no. God will answer those prayers with a yes or, or a no. Sometimes the answer will take a bit of time. Sometimes the answer will not. But understand that every prayer that you pray earnestly, God will answer it. And we find that God does here because the early church does pray that God would save James and Peter. They both prayed the same prayer. They didn't need to mention it with James because that was a given, right? But we find here also that, that, that they also earnestly prayed here for Peter. And the outcome was so different because God said no to James and God said yes to Peter. Why did God do that? Why did God say yes to Peter and no to James? I have no idea why he did that. Theologians have, have debated and they've sort of pontificated on this passage. Why did God answer one yes and one no? And we just don't know why. God is God. And we have to let him be God. We really do. God is God and we have to let him be God. But just understand this. Just because God says no, it doesn't mean that he leaves you. No. He's there. When God said no and James was executed, you think the presence of God left him? No. The presence of God was there with him every step of the way and he was executed. And just because God said yes to Peter, you know 20 years later Peter was crucified upside down and he was martyred for his faith? Yes, the apostle James is the first apostle to be martyred for his faith in Jesus. But 20 years later, Peter suffered the exact same fate. And so we see here in the story that God answers every prayer with a yes or a no. Now, some of you are saying, well, then I shouldn't even pray to God then. Right? So what's the big deal? I shouldn't even pray because he may just say no. What's the big deal? No, you have to. You need to know that when you and I earnestly pray to God, we can actually impact his decision. We really could. God is in a relationship with us. And so because he engages in a relationship with us, prayer is an opportunity for us to communicate and connect with God. And in any healthy relationship, guys, in any healthy relationships, when there is no dual communication that's going back and forth, uh, it doesn't cease to be a healthy relationship. And so when you and I pray to God, we do actually impact his decision. Let's turn to the story of Moses. Remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai and he was praying and God gives him the Ten Commandments and he starts writing it on a stone tablet and then he carries it down from the mountain and what happens when he sees the people of God? He sees them worshiping a golden calf. Didn't we see that? And also he saw that Aaron, his brother, the high priest, led them to make and build this golden calf. And what happened right after that? God said, I'm going to kill all of them. I wish I never saved them from Israel. I wish I never delivered them, right? And look what Moses does in 
verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 9. Look at what he does. Then once again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because of this, all the sin you have committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so arousing his anger. I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me, and the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. You see, Moses had engaged with God in prayer. God had already determined to destroy the Israelites because of their sinward behavior. I mean, God led you out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea for you. How much more do you need to believe that God exists? And yet you build a golden calf and worship gold? God was going to take them out, take them out. But Moses prayed and changed that decision that God had made. Genesis 18 some of you who are reformed, you're really struggling with this right now. Uh, Genesis 18, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember when God told Abraham, man, they're so sinful. I'm going to destroy, I'm going to kill all of them. And what does Abraham do? He starts negotiating with God in earnest prayer. He said, God, if there's 50 righteous, would you save and spare Sodom and Gomorrah? God said, okay, if there's 50, I will. Abraham talked God down to 10. If there are 10 righteous people, and Abraham knew that there was at least 10 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God said, yeah, I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 10 righteous people. Our prayers do impact the very decisions of God. Paul believed that to be true. He, he truly believed that prayer can influence the course of history. He says in Philippians 1.19, Philippians 1.19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul was writing this in prison and he's saying that I know that as you pray for me, I will be okay. I will be released. It will be all right. Paul believed that it was through prayer that God would then help people to have effective ministries as well. And so one of the key things you and I learn from God is simply this. God will answer every one of your earnest prayers. He will answer it with a yes or a no. And we need to know that that should still encourage you to pray because your prayers do impact God's decisions. Your earnest prayers do impact God's decisions. Second thing we learn about God in our earnest prayers is that he can provide angels for us. When you and I earnestly pray, God can provide angels. Do you believe in angels? Good. I know a lot of you don't. If you believe in demons, and I think a lot of you do, don't you know that demons are from Satan and angels are from God? So if you believe in demons, you got to believe in angels. Angels play a very prominent role, and especially in the story. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, let's just look at this again and see how the angel plays such a key role. As the church was earnestly praying for Peter's life, look at how God sends the angel. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that, he was the, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. The angel played such a prominent role in saving the very life of Peter. Angels, it says in, in Hebrews 1.14, it says that angels are really here to serve us and to help us. In verse 14, it says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels played such a macro role in the early church in the, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10, we see angels directing the people of God, helping them to navigate through life. And that's one of the ways why God will send angels to us is because if we need direction in life, the angels will give us direction. And we see here in chapter 12, also in chapter 5 and chapter 27, that angels help us in our times of trouble. 
It's one of the key ways that when you and I are in dire straits and and in such difficult times that God will sometimes send angels to come to strengthen us and to help us to endure a difficult time in our lives, all right? And then next week, we're going to look in chapter 12 that God will send angels to judge, be agents of judgment to his people, all right? It's interesting that when Peter was standing at the door and knocking, and Rhoda comes and he hears his voice, he goes, Peter is here. Prayers are answered. And he runs over, she runs over and tells the group, hey, Peter's at the door. And what do they say? They're like, ah, oh, it's not Peter. That's his angel. You see, for Jews, they really believed in guardian angels. They believed that every, every person had a guardian angel over them. And so they... They, they were praying that God would release Peter, but maybe they didn't fully believe it because they believed more that it was his angel at the door than actually Peter. And they were earnestly praying that God would release him. Angels played such a prominent role, especially in the first century, and it still does today. Our Jesus also was strengthened and aided by angels. And if Jesus needed angels to help him, don't you think you and I do at times as well? So when we engage with God in earnest prayers, understand that God can send these supernatural beings, these angels to help and to support you. And what you and I don't understand is there is an invisible sort of spiritual world that you and I are completely like oblivious to. Some of you see it. Some of you can engage in it at times. But for the majority of us, our world is such a physical reality that we don't understand that there is an invisible war that's going on right now. That there's actually an invisible war amongst the spiritual realms where there's the enemy who tries to destroy us and tries to divide us from God. And by the way, Satan literally means the divider. That's what it means. And you know how Satan divides us? It's not by scaring us like those movies show us. He does it through lies. His goal is to split us from our relationship with God. And he does that through lies. And he'll do that if God says no to a prayer, Satan has a field day. He says, man, God doesn't love you. That's why I didn't answer. God is not real. He doesn't hear your prayers. Or maybe you're so sinful that God doesn't want to answer your prayers anymore. Those are the kinds of things that the enemy and his demons will speak into your mind. And when you and I engage in earnest prayer, the angels will come and strengthen and provide for us in a way. Remember when Jesus was praying for 40 days and 40 nights and being tempted by the devil? And at the end, when he finally defeated Satan, look at what, look at what it says here in Mark 1.13. It says, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended to Jesus. Angels attended to Jesus Christ to help him, strengthen him. Luke chapter twenty two forty three. Remember when Jesus goes to God at Gethsemane and he says, hey, God, uh, I don't want to die anymore. Can you take this cup away from me? How does God answer his prayers? Nope. No. He didn't say yes to his earnest prayers. He said no. But then look at what God does. That's why God doesn't leave us when we pray earnestly. Verse 43 of Luke chapter 22. It says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Jesus our Lord and Savior, was ministered to and strengthened by angels when he had no strength to move forward. And so what I need you to know is that when you and I engage with God in earnest prayer, God often works through people and community when there needs to be a sort of a supernatural deliverance or a help. God will often send angels to bless you and strengthen you. Some of you have no idea how much angels have. Some of you don't even know. Some of you thought these were just random people. But perhaps maybe there were even angels that actually came to you and served you to give you strength, to show you that there's hope in your life. So we learn two things about God as we engage with him in earnest prayer. The first is that God will say yes or no to your prayers, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray. It means that you should pray even harder because our prayers often affect the decisions that God will make. All right, but we gotta be okay when God says no. Second thing we learn about God is that he will send angels. He can send angels to guide, to protect, to direct us in life. Earnest prayers. We have to be willing, and I hope that you believe in the practice of prayer and how God moves. It literally saved the very life of Peter. 
So how do we engage with God in earnest prayer? Like, what, how do we have the right posture to do it? Because that's really important. And this is probably the most important part of the sermon here. If you and I want to engage in earnest prayer, we have to surrender to obedience to God. All right? When you pray to God, before you even enter and before you start earnestly praying certain things to God that you need him to do for you in your life or other lives, people in your life, you need to first say, God, regardless of what happens, I'm going to surrender myself to obedience. How do you know if you fail to do that when you lose faith in God after he says no to a prayer? See, sometimes if we're just going to be honest, we have more faith in a prayer request than we do in a God who can say yes or no to our prayers. A lot of us have more faith in a prayer than we do in a God who could say yes or no. And before you enter into prayer, and before you say, God, I need you, I need you, I need you to help me, you got to first ask yourself, even if God says no, will I surrender myself to obedience to him? Amen. Because Daniel and his friends, you know, uh, Meshach and Abednego, they did that. Remember that story with King Nebuchadnezzar when they wouldn't bow down to the idols? King Nebuchadnezzar arrested them, and he says, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Remember that story? And how did Daniel and his friends respond? Look at Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. This is what he says. says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I love that. They say, hey, we're going to pray, and we're going to believe that God's going to save us from this furnace that you throw us in. But even if God doesn't, we're going to surrender to obedience to him and not to your golden gods. You see, Metro, when we approach God in prayer, I want you to know that, yes, God wants you to earnestly pray to him. He wants you to intercede. But you got to ask yourself, are you still willing to obey him? Surrender yourself to obey him even if he says no. And if he says yes. Sometimes when he says yes, you forget about him. You walk away. Sometimes you want to go to God when you need things. And then when he says yes, you don't need him anymore. But are you willing to live your life continuing to surrender yourself in obeying him in that way? Pastor David Hosang and Betty are in Israel right now. They're enjoying the Holy Land. And they sent me some pictures. I said, would you send me some pictures? But uh, the resolution is so low. Even if I showed it to you, you wouldn't really be able to see them. But it's, they're so cute. They're taking these cute little pictures by the Jordan River. And, you know, they're, they're at Galilee. It's, it's just so cute to see them there. And, and they, they, they sent about four or five pictures uh, for me. And I told David, I said, David, scope out Israel. And uh, I, I'd love for you to lead a trip one year for our church to the Holy Land. How would that, wouldn't that be awesome uh, to have Dr. David Hosang, who is a professor of New Testament, lead us to a trip to the Holy Land? And so he's there with some of his friends. And he says, I'm going to scope out everything. And Betty emailed me yesterday. And, he, and she said, Peter, we're having the best time of our lives. This is by far the best trip we've ever been on. So she's really, really excited uh, to be with David in the Holy Land. And so we've been praying for her health because, you know, she's, she's struggling with her knees and her foot and stuff like that. But um, years ago when we tried to get Betty and David to join our staff, um, they lived in California. They came, it was, I think it was like a February, and uh, we were, you know, I did my best. I like, come on, you got to be a part of our staff. We need you, David. And, and, uh, and so they, they were open to it, and they were just kind of meeting the staff people. We were at a staff meeting. And uh, I was leading it. And in that staff meeting, Betty has a severe heart attack. I had no idea. We didn't know she was having a heart attack. She just said, I'm feeling dizzy. My chest hurts. I need to go lay down. And I just realized she, didn't, she needs to go to the hospital. So Pastor Shirley and Pastor Clay and, of course, David, they took her to Englewood Hospital. And uh, I just thought it was probably you know, nothing real serious. So I just stayed back and I finished the staff meeting. And then I got my car and I went to go visit her at the hospital. And when I got into the emergency room and I said her name, I said, how's she doing? The nurse looked at me and she said, she may not make it. And I said, really? I said, why? She said, she has suffered a massive heart attack. She actually died and they had to use the defibrillator to resuscitate her. And she looked at me and said, it may... She may not make it. And I was just like, oh, I was so worried. 
And I just couldn't imagine what David was feeling at that moment. You know, I mean, David and Betty are my friends. I love them. But this is his wife. And so I'm walking over to the waiting room. And I'm thinking, like, what am I going to say to David? He's probably an emotional wreck. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And I open up the waiting room. And he's sitting with Shirley. And they're just engaged in deep conversation. David is, like, smiling and talking to her. And I'm sitting across from him, just kind of checking him out. And I'm so confused because I know he knows what's going on with his wife. And I have no idea why he is so at a place of peace. And he's not pacing back and forward and he's not worried. He's not crying. He's just, I mean, literally, he is the same David that you see him when you always see him. There was nothing different about him. And finally, it bothered me so much that I went over to him and I said, David, aren't you worried about Betty? And you know what he did? He didn't say anything. This is what he did. He made, a, he made a facial expression, did a hand gesture. He did this. He went. <laughs> I was like, what's this? <laughs> and then he says, Peter, it's in the Lord's hands. He said, we prayed. And now it's in the Lord's hands. You see, at the end, David taught me something that day. He taught me that when he leaves it in the Lord's hands, what he means at the end is that, of course, he wants his wife to live. But he says it's in the Lord's hands and that no matter what, he's going to surrender himself to obeying God, regardless of what happens. Amen. If you can have that kind of posture before you approach the throne of God and you pray to him, and you say, God, even if you say no, I'm going to surrender myself to obeying you. Your understanding of God is going to go so deep, you're going to truly know this God, and you're going to know why Paul says that you should rejoice in your suffering because it's going to produce perseverance, it's going to produce character, it's going to produce a deeper sense of hope. Surrender yourself to obeying God when you approach him in earnest prayer. I pray that the answer doesn't affect what you already know about your God. The second and last thing that I have here is that we earnestly pray to God when we invite others to pray for us. We earnestly pray to God when we invite others to pray for us. I, I get it. You know, a lot of us, when we go through hard times, we don't want to share that with other people. A lot of times we kind of revert to isolation and we just kind of pray maybe on our own, but we don't invite others to pray for us. I want you to know that when you do that, you're putting yourself at a very bad place. Every good coach has a great game plan. I hope that you have a game plan for your own spiritual walk with God here on this earth. And I'm telling you right now, if your game plan is just pray on your own and you don't have other people praying for you, you are putting yourself at a very bad place. You have a terrible game plan. You might have an offense, but you don't have a defense. And you need to get to a place where you realize that without people praying for you earnestly with you as you pray earnestly, because I know Peter was praying earnestly and the church was praying earnestly for him, God may not be able to move in that supernatural place that you want him to move. Remember what James 5.16 says? It says that the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so here's what we need. We need a prayer shield. All right, write down that word, prayer shield. And I hope this week you will start to think to yourself, who in my life could I invite to be my prayer shield? I've forgotten about this for a long time, but recently I've been talking to one of my friends in California, and he reminded me about Prayer Shield, and I brought a book years ago by Peter Wagner, and he wrote a book about that, and basically what he's saying is that we all need a prayer shield. Listen, I have a prayer partner. I have a soulmate that prays for me all the time. I do, but I don't have a prayer shield. Prayer shields are a group of people that are going to intercede on your behalf that you will communicate with them maybe monthly and say, would you pray for me on specific things? And they will intercede and pray for you. And what it does is that because in the heavenly, because in the spiritual world that things happen, and if God were to say no to a prayer request of yours, sometimes that can discourage you. And then the enemy, Satan, who is a liar, will fill lies in your mind, and he's going to try to separate you from God. And sometimes you feel like it's so hard to follow and have faith in God. And sometimes your faith is exhausted. You know what your prayer shield does? They create a powerful spiritual shield over you so that the enemy cannot influence you in that way to separate you from your relationship with God. 
That's the power of a prayer shield. And we find that, the, that Peter had this prayer shield where people prayed and they interceded for him. And as a result, God worked in a mighty, mighty way. Even to, for James. That as they interceded and prayed for James, James went to his grave knowing that God loves him and that God is with him. He is his Emmanuel. You and I need a prayer shield. I do believe it's, it's literally the difference between you thriving and knowing that God loves you literally every moment of your life with that and perhaps maybe the opposite of that is you questioning if he's really there. It's because you lack a prayer shield. And so think about some people you can invite into your life that you can communicate regularly. And please, these are people you have a relationship with, number one. Number two, these are people that you know pray. Don't pick people that you're uncertain about if they pray. Because they're not going to pray for you. They're going to forget. Just ask, who do I know in my life that I know prays? And who do I know in my life that actually loves me? And I, you're going to communicate with this group regularly and ask them to be your prayer shield. I guarantee you, you'll be shocked how much strength you'll experience. Because as they're lifting you up to God, that God would send his angels to strengthen you even when you feel completely exhausted in life. So this week, I started saying, you know what, it's time for me to start up my prayer field because it's been a while. And so I thought about people that I've known and, and people that I love and respect and people who I know do pray. And it came up to about a list of about 22 people around the country, actually around the world. And I sent them um, my prayer request. This was a very important week for me and for our church. Um, Last year, we talked a lot about how God is, if, if, if you're a first-time visitor, this might be all new, but for many of you, you know this. Last year, we talked about um, uh, that God is calling us to get our own building. And we talked about that hopefully that's going to be uh, a building here in Englewood. And, and we're not just going to build a church, but we're going we're to build a community center for Englewood. And to kind of understand the history of the city, for the past over 30 years, the people in this community have been crying out to the city that we need a community center for our children and for our senior citizens. And for the past three decades, the city has basically said no. And so we see a tremendous need there. And so when we were doing that capital campaign last year and we were looking at the book of Nehemiah, uh, we really felt God was leading us to go to the city and tell us, and tell the city if he could send us to Liberty School so that we can rebuild it because it lies in ruins. And so we felt that. And so back then it was just really like a dream. But there has been a lot of work that's been put in place and we're at a place now where this week was one of the most important weeks because we met with four of the five um, board, um, uh, four of the five council members of the city. And in order to get a building from the city, you need to get three of the five votes, right? If you can get three of the five, then, then that's considered a majority yes. And so we met up with every single uh, mem uh, council member except for one, and we're going to meet him next month. But we did, and uh, I knew that this was going to be important for us. I knew that I couldn't do this on my own, and I needed, my prayer, I needed a prayer shoot to just pray for me, for Sunita, as we go into these meetings, as we meet with these council people. And, uh, and so I, I, I alerted them, and I said, would you please pray for me? I need you to be my James 5.16, please. And uh, I was so encouraged because I got so many emails back and said, of course, we'll pray for you. And one of them was uh, one of my mentors, Pete Scazzaro. And I saw him on Friday. I spoke at a conference that this church was hosting. And, uh, and when he saw me, oh, yeah, Tira was there. When he saw me, you know, Pete, you know, Asian Koreans, we don't really um, touch when we greet each other. We bow. We maybe shake hands. You know, it's always interesting because Pete just hugs me and he puts his whole face on me. And he just rubs himself like this on my face. And it's interesting. And, he, and when we were sitting down during the con, he just comes and he just like, he punches me in the face, like not hard, but just goes, hey, I'm praying for you. I pray for you in Metro. How's it going? And then I just told him, I told him what's going on. He goes, I'm so excited to be praying for you. Thank you for putting me on that list. Man, that really encouraged me. And the meetings went good. Some of them went a lot better than I thought, and some of them didn't go as good as I thought. And I'm not going to kind of share with you any of the details, but, but we, what I'm saying is that there was this amazing thing that happened this week in the history of our church, um, and that God is doing some really neat things. And that for the first time, I think, in the history of the city, that they're actually being open to making something like this maybe happen. It's crazy. It really is. And I was at such a place at the beginning of the week where I was exhausted faith-wise. My faith was fatigued. 
it was, I was so overwhelmed. And I just thought, thought to myself, towards the end of the week, I, just, I feel more alive. And I just said to myself, why did I wait so long for the prayer shield? Why did I wait so long to have people pray for me? And pray, and I, and I put the meeting dates on every, uh, the dates and who we're meeting with. On, I give them a schedule of my calendar, and I said, I need you to pray for me at these times. I said, why did I wait so long? Why am I trying to do this all by myself and have a few of my friends pray for me for this? Why couldn't I get some of my, all of my friends to come and join around me and pray and be my shield? So there were some meetings that were discouraging, but the Spirit of God just continued to encourage and then there was those meetings that were so encouraging and that we were encouraged as a church. And I was thankful for what God did at those meetings and, and, and sort of impacting the hearts of some of these council members. And I just thought to myself, why did I wait so long? And I'm here to ask you and encourage you, don't wait so long to create a prayer shield because some of you are barely hanging on the last few grips of your faith. You're dying right now. You can't do it alone, and you certainly can't just do it with one or two people just praying for you. Get a prayer shield. Get a few people to come around you and have them pray for you. And you'll start to experience the very strength of God sort of going inside of you and helping you and filling you up, perfecting you in your weaknesses, because that's how the Holy Spirit works. Your prayer shield will impact your life in that way. And so Metro Community Church today, will you surrender yourself to obedience to God as you pray to him? And will you ask others to come around you and be your prayer shield and guide you and earnestly pray for you the way they prayed for Peter so that you can experience the very hand and power and strength of God in your life? I hope that you will do that. But I'm going to ask you right now today, can you be the prayer shield for Metro Community Church? Can we just at this moment, can we just turn the lights off if we can? Usually we go into a time of prayer where I ask you to pray for yourself. But I'm not going to do that today. I'm actually going to ask you to pray for this church. We need your prayers. We need you to come before God today. And I need you to ask God that he would open up a door for us to get Liberty School. I need you to pray that God would, 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 would allow every council member to see us with favor. We need to come together as a church. And if this is your church... Could you just pray for our church? And if you're not a part of this church and you're just maybe visiting, pray for your church. I'm sure there's needs there. But I'm going to ask you to come and let's pray directly to God and let's ask God to give us Liberty School. And also knowing as before we entered into this prayer, even if God says no to Liberty School, that we're still going to obey him. And we're still going to confess that he is truly faithful. Amen? He truly is. Even if he says no, we're still going to obey him. So let's go to God in prayer. Let's ask him to open up the heavens and allow this church to be the very first organization to build a community center for the city of Englewood and to build a church for its people here. So let's go to our God and then I'm just going to close this in prayer. God, thank you that you're willing to engage with us in prayer. Thank you, God, that you listen to people like Moses, Abraham, the early church when they prayed for Peter and James, the church when they prayed for Paul to be released from prison. Thank you, God, that you choose to operate in this world through the prayers of your people as well. And so, God, today we come to you as a church collectively. And we ask you first that you would um, allow us to find favor with the city officials here in Englewood. And God, that, uh, that they would be open, if it is in your will, God, that they would be open to giving us the most historical building in this city, Liberty School. And so God, as Pastor Sunita and myself and and this man by the name of Jim Bauer, as we go and as we meet with these city officials, 
month after month. God, I pray that your spirit would go before us and God, that, uh, that you would have your way, your full way. And regardless of the answer, God, even if it's a no, we're still gonna obey you, God, no matter what. And so we thank you, God, that you've given us this God-sized vision. Who are we to be the stewards of it? We're humbled by it. We don't deserve it. But God, we will do our best to honor it the best we can. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these beautiful people that sit here. Would you shake them and remind them today that them being a part of this church allows them to make history, not just for our church, but for the city here in Englewood. And so God, may we be unified. May you strengthen us in every way. We thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. There's some next steps I'd love for you to take. Could you flip over your communication card or, or, or click on your app? The first, I'm committing, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, check that off and go out to the, uh, the next table, second table on my left, and meet up with one of our leaders. They will give you a packet and pray with you. Second, this week you're going to commit to forming a prayer shield. All right? You're going to actually develop a prayer shield. You're going to connect with some people and ask them if they'd be willing to pray for you. All right? A prayer shield. Third, I will receive prayer today. Remember James 5.16? We have the prayers of righteous people standing in the front and in the back. And if you need prayer, come forward. Receive prayer from a righteous person so that you can experience the power of prayer in your life. All right? So come forward today and receive prayer. Uh, fourth, please sign me up for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course starting on April 7th. Just because you took it as a small group, it's vastly different taking it as a course. It's almost completely different. And if you've taken it as a small group, I, I want to encourage you to sign up for the course still. It will change your life. I guarantee you. You know, Pete tried to force me to see that he's the author of this material. And he said, it's much better when it's taught in a course, in a workshop format, as opposed to a small group. And see why that's the case. I encourage you, if you've never even heard of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, I do hope that you'll sign up today. It will literally transform your life. I guarantee you that. All right, I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for this material. So please sign up. Pastor Mike will be out there. It starts on April 7th. Hope all of you will be able to be a part of it. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to look at Acts chapter 12, verses 19 to 24. And guess who's here next Sunday? Pastor Kevin Butcher will be here with us. And some of you know who he is. He came here last Sunday, and he, it was amazing. That's all I got to say. And a lot of you have asked if he could come back and preach. And he's going to continue in our series in Acts chapter 12, verses 19 to 24. Read it. Be ready. Invite your friends and family. We have more room now. We have another sanctuary in the gym. Invite your friends and your family to be a part of this. It's going to, be, it's, it's going to rock your world, I guarantee you. So make sure you invite people for that. All right. Uh, one other quick announcement. Next Sunday is Culture Day. And I just want you to know that Culture Day isn't just a time where people in our church can taste the food from your country. But really, it's an opportunity for us to learn and respect and learn to love your country. Whatever country you represent in this church, could you go out to the culture table and make sure your country is represented? And if it's not, could you be the ones to represent it for us? Talk to them and uh, out there. I think Mama Moore will be out there. Some of her staff members will be out there. We need you. We need your country to be represented. We have about 30 countries represented in this congregation. And I think the last I heard, we have about maybe 15 tables. So that means 50% of the countries are represented in this church. But I would love it to be all of the countries that are represented. So please check out the Culture Day table. All right.